millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecutor. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in our studio today with Brother Jeff. Uh, we're not going to use his last name to help protect him, but he is one of the leaders of Assemblies of God World Missions, AG World Missions. He is also a longtime gospel worker in South Asia and in Indonesia. We'll talk a little bit about that. Brother Jeff, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Todd, great to be here with you today. Let's talk let, let's talk about the beginning. How did God get a hold of your heart to say, Jeff, I don't want you to stay in America. I want you to get on an airplane. I want you to go to the far reaches of the world. How did that seed sort of grow in your life? Well, you know, I grew up in New Jersey and uh, pretty multi-ethnic kind of setting. And, you know, always had this deep interest, you know, in other cultures, other peoples and foreign languages. And when I was a kid, I had a globe and, you know, I used to spin that thing around and put my finger and say, someday I'm going to live here or here. Um, so, you know, there was always that interest in different peoples and, and different different ethnicities. But, you know, after I gave my heart to Christ as a teenager, um, the Lord began to work on my heart. The truth is, even as a, a young teenager, I read Tortured for Christ, and that all of a sudden piqued my interest that, you know, there were Christians around the world spreading what I had received and suffering for their faith. And I, there was this odd attraction to suffering at that point, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure what it was, but, I, you know, I began to to consider what would it be like if I gave my life to this. And I didn't even really know what the this was, <laughs> but, uh, you know, certainly, you know, foreign countries was in my wheelhouse and thoughts at that time. I think it's good that God doesn't always let us know what this is yeah. when he says, hey, I want you to do this, but I'm not going to tear all the details. So when you got on the airplane, how, what stage of life were you? How old were you? And sure. how big of a shock or how big of an adjustment was that to, to leave America and say, okay, we live here now? Well, you know, uh, newly married, I guess you know, we were married about two years when we headed out to the field. So in our mid-20s. And, um, you know, unlike things today, you know, back in that day, we had our suitcases and we landed for the first time in our entire lives in this country and stayed for three years. <laughs> you know, nowadays, everyone's like, I'm going to go on a trip first. I'm going right. to do two weeks and do two months and then I'm going to decide. But, you know, it was you land three years and that's it, you know, so <laughs> a little bit of a different day. But uh, that was kind of where we were at. Were there times in that first three-year stretch where you thought, Lord, you've got the wrong guy, or I don't want to be here anymore, or we are, we're going home? Were, were there some kind of some walls that you ran into? I don't know if there was ever a moment where we said, we're done or we're going to pack up and leave. People have asked us, you know, how did you serve there for 23 years eventually? And we stayed 23 years. 
you got to know that you know that you know that you know that you're called. And I think the calling becomes an anchor to keep you there through hard times because it's kind of like when you really have heard from God that you're supposed to be there, almost no matter how bad it gets, you're like, well, this is horrible. I guess it would be better if we went home, but we're just not going home. So that, that you know, the call was really important to us. What were some of the challenges or, or some of the walls where you thought, <laughs> Lord, it's a good thing you called us here because if you hadn't, we'd, we'd be going? The, the greater struggles were sometimes personal struggles more than some of the persecution and suffering that we experienced. So um, the personal struggles included, you know, for me, I came down with kidney stones in my first like four months. I had never spent a day in wow. the hospital in, in my life. Right. Wow. So, you know, that was like one of these things where, man, I just never been in the hospital and hospitals weren't great to begin with. And, you know, <laughs> there were there were a number of things there, you know. Uh, one of the other struggles we had was um, we experienced a miscarriage in our first year there with no family around, with no support around. We were alone in language school at that point. This is like pre you know, internet days, you know, this was book a phone call and pay $4 a minute days. We had each other and we had the Lord to go through those hard times. So those were some personal hard times. Um, We planted two churches during our first uh, term. And during that first church plant, you know, there was opposition. There was government officials, so to speak, that were opposed to us, communities that were opposed to planning the church in a majority Muslim place. And, you know, those were it's seemingly a little more easy, although there were threats. Right. You know, there were difficulties uh, in those kinds of uh, in those kinds of situations. How much strength was built into you? And, and I think especially even in your marriage, by going through those difficult times, and like you said, it was just the two of you and God, and you made it, and you stayed there, and you kept working. How much did that affect the years after that when you look back on that? Well, you know, uh, coup d'etat in 98, um, you know, uh, we had uh, other incidences that happened that were difficult, uh, uh, arrest and other things that went on. You know, but those early years then just became more strength for later years. And, uh, you know, boy, you grow as a couple when you're in those kinds of—when all you have is each other. Right. So um, there's two things that are important here. Number one, um, my wife and I are best friends. So so we like each other. <laughs> we like to <laughs> hang out with a, each a other. bonus. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think secondly is that— I wasn't just called, she was called. So if I could maybe say something to some of your listeners who are considering going overseas and maybe aren't yet um, married and and considering that, it was very important that when we came together, we both knew that we had the call. You know, uh, my wife didn't say to me, well, I'll just go wherever you go because, or I didn't say to her, I'll go wherever you go just because I love you. Um, we both came together and said, you know what, we were both called, and that kind of enhanced our relationship and our love for each other. Well, and I think even during those hard times, she didn't have to rely on your call to drag her through those hard times. She had her own call to say, no, God called me to be here as well. Um, so I think that 
is significant in those difficulties as well. Yeah, and there was a kind of a divide-and-conquer mentality for us because eventually we had uh, three children all, you know, born and raised, you know, on the field with us. And um, there were times where things were a little dicey and it was like, okay, you take the kids and you know, go here and I'll manage this other thing that's going on. You mentioned an arrest. Did you get arrested? Or I did. Uh... Without going into too many details, you know, you're, you're serving in a country where sometimes it's not always acceptable to be a foreigner even and to share the gospel. And it was a situation where sometimes you're there by various means too it's not always so right. clear you know and i was <laughs> a lot of in countries one of those... don't give missionary visas exactly like, so. <laughs> so we were in one of those situations and um you know somebody just started an investigation and somebody else reported and uh you know the next thing you know they were looking for me and this is one of those moments where we looked at each other and said we could all leave right now and be okay. Or you could leave with the kids and I'll turn myself in. And that's really what we did. And they, when they were in a safe place, I went and turned myself in. And so it wasn't like, you know, I was being chased down right. or anything. I just showed up and said, well, here I am. They said, great. Well, we've been looking for you. <laughs> and uh, interrogation ensued and a lot of prayer ensued. And ultimately, um, there was a release that happened, and uh, we're very thankful for that. So. so did that situation resolve itself in a way that you were still allowed to stay in the country, or were you forced to leave because of that arrest or because of that situation? Um, I eventually had to, to leave, but I left not being deported either. Okay. So the reser- the situation <laughs> so resolved itself, back. <laughs> and and we went out. But we also then determined that we needed to take care of some of the things, like it, if I was going to pastor a church, or you know, I needed to be on a more clear visa. Right. And then the Lord opened the door for that to happen. So the miracle that came wow. out of that was that not only did I then get a a, a visa for a pastor, we got like. 29 other slots in wow. the heels of that. So so it was kind of like, you know, this was where, you know, my wife drew a line in the sand and said, look, you know, you've got, we've got small children. You can't just keep going and getting arrested. You know, <laughs> I kind of left the country thinking, you know, victory is ours, you know, thank the Lord. And my wife was like, hey, we can't do this, you know. So we need this uh, to be a one-time thing. <laughs> let's get a proper visa. And, and I said, well, we've been applying for those and we haven't gotten them. Let's apply again, which we hadn't tried in a number of years, and things had changed, and new channels were opened up, and new opportunities were wow. given to us. And so sometimes, you know, when bad things happen, there are good things on the other side of it. And I think that was what we learned from that lesson, although we had seen those things happen, but this was a big deal, actually. Yeah, and you probably wouldn't have reapplied Without that experience, is that that is, is that accurate? accurate? Yes, that is accurate. So, so the Lord used that to open a door. Yes. Talk to me about when you're in the police station and when they're asking you questions. And you said it was a time of great prayer. Talk to me about what was going on in your heart and in your mind. And were there things that God brought to mind specifically that helped you through that or helped you answer questions? Or 
I would say that, you know, I was scared to death. I mean, honestly, you know, <laughs> I appreciate honesty. You know, you're 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 sitting here in the studio with me and you're looking at me and you're going, OK, this guy was not made for jail. OK, so I'm not a hardened <laughs> person that, you know, and I'm looking around at people going to myself, OK, I wasn't made for this, you know, so, you know, Lord, I need I need some deliverance here. And, uh, you know, during those questioning times, it was, you know, uh, five years in jail and a $25,000 fine. I think the scary thing was they they said to me, they, at one point, the, the guy that interrogated me came back in the room and said, where's your wife and children? Because, you know, everybody's registered, you know. And so I said, well, they're in the neighboring country, you know. <laughs> he gets this big smile on his face and he's like, this guy's just one step ahead of me. Because he knew had he grabbed them, I would have, you know, basically been in trouble, you know, emotionally, et cetera. But, um, yeah, so those were some of the thoughts going through my mind. And uh, then uh, an advocate came to my rescue, a believer in the city there who just had enough influence and power, I guess, to ask for a release, and then a release was given. So, Jeff, you have had that experience yourself. Now you're in a role of leading other workers and recruiting other workers to go. They might end up in that situation. They might end up in the police station. They might end up under arrest. They might end up in jail for five years. How do you find workers or how do you prepare the workers you find so that when that trial comes, they don't give up and come home? They, they have that same sense of calling that, that you have that yeah. kind of saw you through that. You know, I really believe that missionary ministry is apostolic in its nature. And I I know there's all kinds of debates out there about that office and different things, but I'm not here to prove it one way or another. I just think it is apostolic in nature. You know, when the Apostle Paul talks about the apostolic and talks about his defense of his apostleship and and say, well, let me give you my resume, 2 Corinthians 11 uh, you know, verse 23 and onwards, he talks about his sufferings. That's really, that's, that was really the mark of his apostleship. So if we believe that missionary ministry is apostolic in nature, it should go hand in hand with that kind of thing happening, you know, in, in, in a person's life. And so as we're looking for new workers I guess we try to say to them, there there is a certain romance to missions. You know, you're you're overseas and you're living out in these strange places among, you know, people and sharing the gospel. I mean, you know, there is this romantic side of that. Boy, the romance is over pretty quick when, when, when suffering comes. And yet it shouldn't shock us or surprise us. Um, as we do that, you know, one of the other things I want to say is, um, my eschatology is tied to my missiology. So my eschatology is that when everyone hears and believes, Jesus will come again. So I, I, I'm not talking about all the, the theories of the whens or hows or whats, but, you know, Jesus himself said, you know, when this gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come, Matthew 24, 14. So I guess what I'm saying with that is as we advance the gospel around the world to peoples and places that have never heard, the enemy is fighting that. Sometimes the spiritual battle overflows into the natural. 
So this is why. Why do people get beat up? Why are people put in prison? Why are people attacked for the gospel? Well, this is the natural response of the enemy as we advance the gospel to places and to peoples that have never heard before. And so it's important then that when we send workers out, we don't try to give them the illusion that this is spiritual ping pong. (laughs) This is spiritual warfare. And that warfare overflows into the natural at times. And so be prepared to suffer for the gospel. And boy, as anybody knows better than Voice of the Martyrs, our brothers and sisters and even our own workers are feeling the impact of that spiritual warfare um, as it happens around the world. And I think, you know, as you make that analogy, there are casualties in warfare. There are. There are people who are wounded. There are people who are killed. How do you work with missionaries, workers, who are right in the midst of that battle? What do you say to them? What do you point them to? How do you encourage them? <laughs> keep on, keep on, don't don't give up. What do you say to them right in the midst of that? Well, I think you have to be honest. And, you know, when you read through the book of Acts and you read about the Apostle Paul who kind of defined apostleship, and I, like I said, this this person that was expanding the kingdom all the time, there were times of deliverance and there were times where he wasn't delivered. I, I think there's a balance in all of that. So as I speak to workers, I also don't want to give them this victorious version of Christianity right. that, that we all like to hear the story of deliverance. We don't always like to hear the story <laughs> where we're not delivered. So so I try to help our workers to understand there's there's times of deliverance and times where maybe deliverance doesn't come. But there's always a purpose behind people not being delivered. Sometimes that's found in our response to the persecutors. Sometimes persecutors need to persecute so that we can demonstrate the love of Christ. And I think this is a very important element, and this is a command of the Lord Jesus. And and so this is sometimes where I'm responding is, are there ways that we can show those who have persecuted us kindness and love? And boy, sometimes that is more difficult right. than anything else. Yeah, I, I can see some situations where that's not a, a fun conversation for oh, the no. person receiving it. No. Uh, Jeff, you've spent many years working and living in a Muslim context, in a Muslim nation. Um, we've talked a little bit about your adjustment once you got there, but how— how different is the image of Muslims that most American Christians have from the reality when you live and work and are neighbors with Muslims in in their home countries, in, in that context? I, I think, uh, you know, as we did our ministry together, you know, my wife and I and our family, we found that um, the hospitality of people is amazing. I think sometimes, you know, persecution happens, but it's generally from what I like to refer to as outsiders. You know, people that we were in relationship with never persecuted us. As we demonstrated the love of Christ, as we even as we shared a truth that they didn't necessarily hold to. But there were times where there were outsiders that would rile up, let's say, people or the masses, so to speak. And that's when sometimes persecution would come. You know, so 
I, I think we've got to be careful of uh, having too much fear, having too much, you know, hatred. Hatred is not part of the Christian doctrine, by the way. Um, taking revenge. I mean, none of these things is is should be part of what we do as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So my overall experience in 23 years was, yes, there were times of persecution. I talked about one today, but there were many others. But there were more times of hospitality and love and openness. And I think when we demonstrate a love for people through actions, through prayers, and don't compromise our message. You know, when you read through the book of Acts, Peter and Paul, when they preached, they had a two-point sermon everywhere they went. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead. And those were the only two things that they were willing to go to jail for, they were willing to die for. And those truths, if we hold on to them and present them to people in a loving manner, really are almost like a shield of protection for us in many cases. I'm struck by what you said, that, that you were never persecuted by anyone you were in relationship with. I mean, I mean that is such a key <laughs> truth. What are you doing? And I would think you ask your workers this all the time. What are you doing to build relationships? What are you doing to expand the scope of your relationships? Let's talk about that in an American context, because many of us have a Muslim coworker or a sure. classmate or a yeah. neighbor. And I think, like you say, there's a lot of fear. I think a lot of fear theologically, like I can't answer all their questions, so therefore I don't want to even open that doorway because I'm going to get stumped on the third question, and then I'll look stupid, and then they'll, you know. <laughs> How do you advise American Christians in our American context to build those relationships so that we can have a bridge to share the gospel? You know, it depends on, is this a coworker, a neighbor, or is it just someone you're passing in, you know, a, a convenience store or a shopping center or school or, you know, or however it might be? Is it a casual or is it a direct relationship? I think with a direct relationship, um, you've just got to be inquisitive and ask questions about them and ask about their country and find out about them. And then take the relationship to a point where maybe you're going to deliver some food. Maybe you're going to invite them over to your house. Uh, you know, it, the relationship needs to go beyond surface if you're going to have this opportunity to share the gospel. I also think you have to then leave room for that divine moment that the Lord will open up for you. They'll open up about, boy, I've got a relative who's suffering. I've got someone who can't conceive. I've got someone who's dying of a, of a sickness or a disease. Boy, that's a moment to pray. You know, I would say this. My record of seeing people healed after prayer is far higher when I prayed for non-believers than when I prayed for believers. Miracles are a sign to the non-believer that God is a living God. So my challenge to your listeners is don't be afraid when someone says to you, I'm hurting or I have a problem, to stop and say, can I pray for you right now? And just trust that God will do his thing. And um, I think in, on, on some of the other surface relationships, let's say you meet somebody in convenience or 
boy, smile and be kind and ask people how they're doing. You know, you have to realize that as foreigners in this country, they're afraid too. They're nervous too. What do they think about me? What's in their mind? Well, show them that what's in your mind is that you care about their situation. And that seems that seems pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. I right? mean, we can say hello. <laughs> Most of us can say hello. Uh, so that's a good a good point of uh, information, point of inspiration for us, brother Jeff. As we kind of wind down, I want you first to talk a little bit. I know part of your responsibility is is training and sending people to the field. Talk to our listeners, especially I'm thinking of young people who are sensing God's call, just like you did, sensing God's call to go overseas. Just just kind of give them some encouragement, give them some advice. What are the next steps they need to think about? Just talk to those who are sensing that call to missions right now. Sure. Well, one would be try to hold on to that call. I, I, I oftentimes, you know, I'll, I'll preach at a church somewhere and say, hey, if you've got a call, come down to the front of the church. I'll pray for you, you know, or meet you afterwards. I meet a lot of people who will tell me, boy, as a young person, I was called, but now I've got a family, I've got a job, I've got 10 different payments to make, and I can't pursue that dream anymore. So if you're listening and you're a young person and you your life is not yet set, you know, um, pursue the call and don't allow for sidetracks to take place. I think it's easy for opportunities to pop up. You know, one of the things I love about uh, millennials and the younger generation is, you know, they're not as much down for the American dream as, you know, a house and a picket fence and a, a job and a 401k. You know, I meet millennials are like, no, as long as I have Wi-Fi, I can go anywhere, you know. <laughs> so, but, but, but young person, if you're listening and, and God has a call on your life, hold on to that call for all your worth because the, the enemy of your soul will offer you so many other opportunities. And they're not bad opportunities. You know, it's not like, hey, you know, go and rob a bank or hurt someone, you know, do something bad. Sometimes it's, you know, hey, there's this great job out there where you could make money or do something like that. You know, follow that call with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. Um, if you feel like you've got that call, stay out of debt. <laughs> You don't make a lot of money as a missionary, so you're not going to be able to pay off high credit cards or big school loans. You know, stay out of debt. Look for someone that shares your interest if you want to get married. You know, as I said, finding someone who has a, a call like you do is really important. And, um, I, you know, then just start to fashion your life after these things. Go on short-term trips. Do internships. And then try not to conceive in your mind something, but let the Holy Spirit lead your life. People who struggle in their first term as a missionary are often those who say, I've gone to reach people who are in wheelchairs and wear purple socks and, you know, knit. You know, like they got this calling down. It's kind of like it's the Starbucks generation, you know, and or, or, you know, I want this coffee drink with all these little tiny things. You got to go with an openness to what the Spirit says and does. In 23 years, 
the greatest things that we did were not planned. And if you can go with an open heart, but holding on to this idea that God has called you to this great adventure, I just think amazing things are in store for you as you pursue that call. And I, I love that word adventure and and seeing it as I don't know the whole pathway when I take off. We're going on an adventure and and maybe there's going to be a police station in our adventure and, <laughs> and maybe right. there's going to be some other challenges in our adventure. But we're going on an adventure and, and God is ready to guide us. Brother Jeff, last question. We always want to equip listeners to pray. Uh, and I think of you having served 20 plus years overseas, now in a leadership role with a missions organization. Let's let's talk first about that first term worker. They're in their year number one, year number two. They're going through that, maybe hitting some of those walls, maybe thinking, sure. wow, did God really call me to this? How do we pray for that family or that couple or that worker that's in that sort of that first little adjustment stage living overseas? You know, pray that God gives them an encouragement along the way. I think when you're in that first term, you know, you, you've gotten off the plane with a one-way ticket. You know, <laughs> you know the, the nice thing about short-term missions is the return uh-huh. ticket. <laughs> Amen. You know, you, got, you go two weeks, you know, you return. Um, I think when you're on that one-way ticket and the the— the glory of those early days have, has worn off, and you are bridging the chasm of culture, the chasm of language, uh, the chasm of religion, the chasm of relationship, the chasm of menu. There's no Big Mac on the menu, you know. So, so they need encouragement. Pray that God would give them an encouraging experience along the way. I think that would be really important. Pray that God gives them victories in in language, victories in relationship. And and I think those would be helpful as you pray for those workers who are in their first term. Okay, that's the second question. Again, we're we're talking about ways that we can pray. Uh, As we think about AG World Missions and and your workers around the world and your leadership team, how can we pray for for the organization there? You know, really, praying just for more workers. You know, Jesus gives us a command. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray, therefore, for more workers. He commands us to pray for more workers. And so pray that God would call more people to the field and to many of these countries around the world. You know, I could just, I could speak forever on the many places that have never had a church or a Christian since Jesus gave the great command to go in all of human history. You know, Thailand is one of the countries that we oversee and there are 5,440 sub-districts and 79,000 villages that have never had a church in all of human history. Wow. And, and we think of Thailand as an open country. It uh, is. I mean— It is. But they've waited long enough. 
And, and it's not just going to be American workers. I want you to know that we desire to partner with our host churches and our brothers and sisters in Christ, and then shoulder to shoulder in prayer together. And God is still calling Americans to be a part of this great commission. And the best thing we can sometimes send, we can send our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren. And it doesn't mean that it has to be all young people. There are plenty of places to serve, even for people in their 50s who have said, look, we're now on a pension or, you know, we're, we're in a place where financially we're okay. Could we serve? And the answer to that question is yes. And so we've got a lot of opportunities for service and um, the harvest is still great. And we appreciate your prayers for more workers. Last question, last prayer request. How do we pray for Muslims? Good. Um, Pray that God would give them more dreams and more visions. I met so many people who said to me, I had a dream where Jesus came to me in a dream. You know, I I had an experience where— I had heard about a woman in a village who had a dream of a tourist is what she said. And I immediately thought, you know, hey, it's possibly me. You know, <laughs> what a terrible thing to think, right? So me and this group of people went to the, found this village, found this woman, and she looked at me and they all said, is this the person you had a dream of? And she looked at me and she said, no, doesn't no, look like him at all. Him. <laughs> because the person who came to me in my dream had a beard. And this Christian guy who was with me had a Bible that had like one of those like makeup pictures of Jesus. He opened it up and he said, is this who you saw in your dream? And she said, yes. Wow. That's who came to me in my dream. And that opened up the door for us to say, well, can we tell you about him? Right. So somehow Jesus is having and giving dreams to people. But we also found a few people who said Jesus came to them in a dream, and the message he had for them was, go find a Christian, and they'll tell you everything you need to know about me. And so we, we just need for the divine to happen in many of these cases. So pray for dreams and visions in the hearts and lives of, uh, of people that are, are wanting and seeking the Lord. Amen. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.